0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. A few things before we pray. Um, I want to talk about depression today. And I don't think the Bible, if I understand it correctly, directly deals with depression. In other words, there's not a, a chapter on depression that just goes straight into it and talks about what it is and how it affects us and how we can overcome it. So we're going to be looking at Elijah and try to work through some of the issues that he was facing or, and uh, relate it to ourselves as well. I also want to know, I'm going to be talking a little bit about myself. I'm not fishing for, um, and, and I don't mean this in a mean way, uh, when, I, when I share about some of the things that I have seen going on in my life, I don't want to sh- have you, uh, you know, come up to me and say, oh, you know what I mean? Um, and I, I do love comfort, trust me. Um, but I'm not looking to see or have you walk away from this thinking that I'm a hero. If, if you walk away with any form or thought of me being a hero, then you've missed the point of all of uh, what I'm going to say today. I also want to include the fact that I am not a clinical psychologist, So some of the things that I, if I say something wrong, and you are a clinical psychologist about depression, trust me, that's my ear, and I'd be more than happy to uh, correct that uh, in the end, because I understand that there's a lot more even than what I know and have experienced um, as well. So uh, I also want to think, hope that you, at the end of this, listen to everything that I say, because you might hear something and go, "Eh, you know... um, that doesn't sound like you're saying that the way it should be. So try to catch everything in the whole context. Because I think when it comes to depression, especially when it comes to depression in the church, uh, many churches can go, hey, you know what, that's a spiritual problem. Um, just praise the Lord, brother. Just praise the Lord, sister. And uh, you'll get better. I promise. I think there's more to it uh, than that, that goes into it. And I also don't want you to go up there and at least be sitting there and thinking, dude, you're weak, man. And uh, I've lost respect for someone who is is weak like you, which is fine if that's the way you want to deal with it. But I really do think depression, as we'll see, is really a a, a bigger issue than we may give it rise to or give credence to it. And uh, as difficult as that is to hear, I would imagine that many of us here do struggle and work through it. And it has nothing to do, well, I shouldn't say that. Um, It doesn't always have everything to do with your weakness as a human, as a man, or as a woman. It doesn't have a, a... everything to do with even you being not spiritually in the game, if that makes sense. So there's a whole context. I know it sounds weird as we go through this. Hopefully you do follow me. If uh, I do say something, and I'm going to be honest, if there's something that's a little weird, and you even raise your hand during the sermon, I think I can handle that today. Uh, because I want to be clear. Because if you're sitting there going, yeah, that didn't make sense to me. Can you explain that a little more? And uh, we never do that. And I don't know. I, obviously, I'm not Asian. Uh, but in some circles, um, You know, it's, I don't want to be known, I don't want to be, you might want to say, hey, I had somebody send me a text message this week, um, talking, hey, you know, when you do this, keep this in mind, and I appreciated that a ton, because it was good to hear. So I want you to leave uh, finding Jesus uh, in the midst of your life, and if you're experiencing depression, I want you to find Jesus in the middle of that, and I don't want you leaving here with a lot more questions, or like, man, this is really more painful, and this is what I didn't need to hear this morning. So that's a whole bunch of qualifiers, only because I think this is pretty serious, And I also think that we really need to get this in a way and understand this in a way that we find Jesus in the midst of all this. Okay, so let's pray. Our Father, you are in heaven and uh, we're here in the cafeteria. But it's also true that you live inside many of us. And so you're here fully in your presence. And we can experience you even in this moment, perhaps through the worship, even through the short little message that Phyllis gave us. Uh, We may already have been touched by you. We may have yet to be touched by you. Either way, we know that you're here, and we pray for your presence in a way because you truly are a gracious God. You are a loving God, uh, a caring and compassionate God. And you want to draw people to you. You want us, each and every one of us here, uh, to know you in a very real, very personal, uh, very intimate way. And our hope, our prayer, as a church family, as we gather this morning, is that you will speak to us in whatever form it's necessary. Even if during this message, uh, people don't hear what I say, but you say something anyway, we're all for that. Because we want to hear you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've been thinking about giving a message on depression for quite some time. And uh, this was an interesting week to actually pick such a message. Uh, One reason is because if this week, if you're online, uh, you may have heard that a pastor named uh, Pastor Jared Wilson, a associate pastor at a megachurch in California, uh, took his life. The reason that he took his life was because he had been struggling with depression, severe depression for a very long period of time. I don't know the man. I'm not here to say, oh man, he was a pastor. He should have hung on longer. I don't think that's true. Uh, What he was going through was what he was going through. Fighting the depression finally overwhelmed him and he took his life. I find that to be a tragedy, not something to make a judgment on the man. Also this week, uh, talking to someone, uh, explaining, as they were explaining to me, their life story and what was going on. One of the issues that they were facing is someone in their life, um, a husband who had lost his wife six years ago, finally took his life because the depression was too great. Uh, He could not handle life. Because his wife was no longer there. The comfort, the security, all the things. Which is, in some ways, is, is a, uh, trying to use the right term, is a happy thing because that means him and his wife really loved each other. And that's good when people are in their 70s and 80s and they're still like madly passionate. But that's great. Uh, but it's a tragedy uh, that he couldn't work through that. But that doesn't mean he's less of a person. It's just a tragedy. It's difficult to hear that story. And so depression is a real thing. It's something that we experience Uh, in our world, whether someone's in the church or outside the church, it's there, it's real, and it's serious. Uh, For many of us, we may experience bouts of depression, Uh, some of us low-grade, some of us very severe debilitating depression. I don't know how many of you watch This Is Us, right? Anybody, if you watch This Is Us? uh, One of the things that Toby, the character, uh, experiences is severe depression, uh, a severe depression that debilitates him. Some people are absolutely positively debilitated by the depression that they feel. They're just absolutely overwhelmed. Others, like myself, experience a low-grade functioning depression, but it still affects our lives. And so I want to look at Elijah's story here in First Kings 19 and uh, just try to, to, to get us to a place where, as a church and a church family, uh, we become aware of and compassionate towards those who struggle with such an issue. Here's the context, and we're not even going to read chapter 18, but chapter 18 is basically, Elijah has taken on uh, the false prophets of the day. There's about 850 of those guys. And he said, listen, I'm going to make you a challenge. We're going to see in the midst of this challenge, whose God is really God? And uh, by the end of the story, uh, the winner is God, because being the only true God, the only God that exists, the other gods that these 850 false prophets were worshiping didn't even exist. And so in a sense, what you have is a victory victory. Elijah has just experienced a physical and spiritual victory. He's won. He has proven that God is God. Uh, I guess maybe in modern terms, if, if, uh, if we're here and there's a basketball tournament over there and they're all unchurched folk and uh, suddenly they, you know what, we have a stirring of the Spirit of God to kind of walk over and see what these guys are doing at church. About 300, 400 people come in and suddenly they all become Christians. That would be kind of the victory. Uh, that Elijah just experienced, and uh, the people are with him for this moment because when he says we got to get rid, of, <laughs> when we have to get rid of these false prophets, they get rid of the false prophets. But then suddenly, the story changes. Chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab, who was the king at that time, told Jezebel his wife all of the things that Elijah had done, <clears throat> and how Elijah had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, the thing about Jezebel, these were her guys. These were her false prophets. These were the guys that she was grooming uh, for the religion that she had believed in. And when she hears these guys are gone, this is what she does. She sent, uh, Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also. If I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. In other words, you killed my boys. And uh, so we got to get even with you. Now, how many of you guys watch Chicago PD? You guys watch a lot of TV. What's going on here? Well, in Chicago PD, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, one gang member gets killed by another gang member, and you have all this retaliation. So, in a sense, maybe you could say Jezebel is one of the original gang members. I don't know, but probably not. But as she says, you kill my boys? Okay, you're done. We're going to retaliate. We're going to take care of you. And let me promise you this, Elijah... By this time tomorrow, you're going to be as dead as them. Now, in our American sort of Christianity that triumphs over all things, this is what we hear that Elijah does. Elijah heard such a threat and rejoiced that he might suffer for God, knowing that in the end he would triumph. That's not what it says, is it? Verse 3 Then he was afraid. He was afraid. It's like, dude, you just had this great victory. God has shown himself to be real, and you're afraid? And he arose, and he ran for his life, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. So the context is that he has had this great spiritual triumph. He has seen God work so mightily because the people have been wandering away from God, so far from God. They're following these false gods. And this victory, they're like, oh, yeah, dude, you know, God is God. Amen, brother. This is so cool. We've seen this absolute miracle. And Elijah should be on top of the mountain, in a sense. But when his life is threatened, his current situation, he's afraid, and he runs. I'm not judging him. I'm just telling you what he did. Verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked God that he might die. Total victory to total defeat, in a sense. And I use the word defeat lightly because I don't want you to think when you go into a depression, you're defeated. But he says this He says, It is enough now, oh Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. In other words, his, his simple statement is, God, I just want to die. I mean, I'm being threatened. This woman is going to kill me. This woman who hates you with every fiber of her being. This, this woman who I thought we would triumph. We would be victorious. We would win, and, and we would knock her off the throne, and your worship would be restored, and the kingdom would be restored. But it didn't happen that way, God. It happened the opposite. I'm actually scared and I'm on the run and I just want to die. I don't want to live anymore. This is over. I'm through. So I'm going to flip through the slides here of depression so we get an idea of what I think Elijah is going through. These are signs of depression. If these are off in some way, which I hope there aren't because I copied them, but if there are, it's my ear because I did make one addition. So can we do the slides? Because you have it right? Okay, so the first one is this. How do you know you had depression? The first one is, do you feel sad, empty, or anxious? Okay, well, it'll come off there, I'm sure. Do you feel sad, empty, or anxious? And I would say, when I experienced my depression, late last year, early, um, early this year, I felt a lot of anxiety. And, and if you know about my health condition, and I appreciate every time someone asks me about my health, I always wonder if you're asking because I don't really look well, and you're like, are you okay? But uh, we're able to go back to the stroke and the heart attack thing. And I appreciate that. But if you, you know that my heart history, for a, a period of three weeks, I had such a heavy anxiety, I literally feared that I would die. That's how big the anxiety was when I went to sleep. I went to sleep with the thought, oh, God, please just let me wake up in the morning. To me, this was a pretty serious situation. So if you're feeling that, you may be experiencing depression. Do you feel helpless, worthless? Or guilty? Number three, do you feel hopeless? By the way, you're looking at these and you're going, wow, Pastor Frankman, you're pretty creative on those slides, aren't you? Because you're like, dude, you're so like over the 50s and you can do this? Okay, well, the truth is Kaylee did this for me, so I will not take credit for it. <laughs> but do you feel hopeless? And this is why most people take their lives, because they've lost hope. There's no hope. I, this situation is not going to change. In fact, it's only getting worse. Why should I live? And I think this is where Elijah's at. This is terrible, God. I mean, we like, I had a grand slam in the top of the ninth in the last game of the World Series. I've got us on the brink of winning. And then they come up and they hit a 2 run home and we lose. This is not cool. I feel like dying. I want to give up. So he's experiencing depression. Have you lost interest in activities? I can tell you that as I went through my depression... I lost interest in everything. Nothing I found was appealing. It was like walking through life like a numb person. And so another one, do you feel irritable? Now my kids are probably, did I do that right? Did I go, okay, do I feel irritable? My kids might say, dude, you're always irritable. You're a grumpy old man. That's what you get. But there's a sense in depression that you're irritable because of the frustration, if I understand it correctly, that you are feeling. Um, Do you feel less energetic or apathetic? In other words, have you just kind of lost the energy to do things. Do you have trouble concentrating? Are there changes in the way you sleep? Now, if you ask anything about, uh, if you ask my wife anything about my sleep patterns, it's pretty simple. When I'm tired, I lay down, boom. About one second later, I am out. Uh, In the middle of the day, if I take a nap, she goes, hey, I'm a little tired. Let's take a nap. We take a nap. She might be talking, boom, I'm out. Pillow out. And I sleep all the way through. Uh, I, I don't even get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom because I know you're all thinking you're 55, you should be in that age. I don't yet. I'm still in there. But I found myself in the midst of my depression, I'm getting up at 2.30, 3 o'clock every morning because I couldn't sleep. So things had changed. Either changes in your appetite? And if you're looking at me, you know that I love to eat. I just love food. Uh, in, a, in a three-week period... I got sick for two extended periods of time and I uh, just totally lost my appetite to eat. I lost 18 pounds. And uh, what happened was I lost 10. Uh, I put half of it back on, lost eight again, and then put the rest of it back on. So I didn't really lose weight in the end. In fact, I weigh more than I did since then. But the idea is that your changes in your appetite occur. Are you experiencing aches and pains? And then this final one is, are you preoccupied with suicide? So do we have an idea here what's going on? Elijah... Fantastic victory. Things are going well. Until he gets a death threat, he runs, he gets to a place, and he says, God, I just want to die. It's over. He, he's experiencing depression in a lot of ways. And uh, it's the same thing that I had. So here's three things that I want to give us today in dealing with depression. The first one is this. God is gracious and brought Elijah to a place of rest. God is gracious. and Remember, God is gracious and brings Elijah to a place of rest. Now, rem- this key. Your experience of depression is going to be different than Elijah's. Your experience of depression is going to be different than mine. I'm only going to tell you what happened with Elijah. I'm only going to tell you what happened with me. And then I'm going to hope that you can work that out in the end and how it actually matters to you. Because remember, if I have a low-grade functioning depression, it is not the same as someone who has a debilitating depression that absolutely wipes them out. But God is gracious and brought Elijah to a place of rest. Verse 5. Elijah lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched Elijah and said to him, Arise and eat. Notice what the angel does not say. The angel does not say, Elijah, what is wrong with you? Why are you here? God will protect you. Wake up and go back there and be bold. Stand firm, stand strong, trust God. There's no word of that. The angel simply comes. And says, Arise and eat. It's time to eat. Verse 6. Elijah looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he lay down again. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's experiencing depression. He doesn't want to live anymore. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him. This time, the angel said, Get up and go back. No, it says, Arise and eat For the journey is too great for you. In other words, I have a plan. I'm going to bring you to a place of rest. So Elijah rose, he ate, he drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. In other words, Elijah, I get it. You had a great victory, but now you're experiencing this great tragedy, this trauma that it seems to you that all is lost. All these years of ministry that you have ministered to the people of Israel, all these years they have not listened to your message. The king and the queen have shunned you. In fact, they have hunted you down to look for you, to find you, and ultimately to kill you. I can understand why you're depressed because after this huge victory, you should be celebrating. But you're not because you've received a death threat and realized this is not working. I'm in a bad place. But you know what? Come meet with me. Come to the mountain. Come and get rest. Verse 9. Then Elijah came to a cave and lodged in it. In other words, he lived there. He stayed there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And God said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I think tone is important. And I was not there. I was not there at the moment. I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong. God may say, dude, you were so off. But I don't think that God said, Elijah, what are you doing here? Like, what's wrong with you, brother? Get back there. Get back in the fight. I don't think it was like that. He doesn't either say, what are you doing here? Like, why are you hiding out? You should be fighting. You should be standing firm. You should be where I want you to be. Why are you here? No, I don't think that's the tone. I think the tone is, Elijah, why are you here? Like, let's have a conversation. Let's talk about this. I want you to understand, Elijah. I understand. I get it. I'm a gracious God. I understand after all these years of struggling through ministry, when you finally get to the top, you crash to the bottom. Why are you here? What's going on in your life? What's happening? See, because it's God bringing Elijah to a place of rest. He feeds him twice. So much so that he can finally get to this place where he can actually meet with God and they can re- and rest. And and God has explained it in my graciousness. I absolutely understand the reason why, from your human from your perspective, why you're experiencing this depression. Now, for me, this is not necessarily for everyone else, but here's how God brought me to a place of rest. One thing, um, he brought pickleball into my life. You guys are ready for something about Jesus, weren't you? Pickleball, You're like, what's pickleball, man? You get like a pickle that you get at your hamburger and you hit it across the net or something like that. It's a really fun game that old people play, and when you're 55, you can play it and enjoy it. Well, you can play it when you're younger too. But he brought pickleball into my life—a a simple thing, a place of rest where I didn't have to compete, where I could actually be myself and and win. It's so fun to win. It really is. I mean, I know our culture today says, that's not about winning. It's how you play the game, which is a lie. (laughs) Right? How many of you put money on the Super Bowl? Just checking. Y'all passed. Okay. But if you did put money on the Super Bowl, you're not saying, I hope my team plays really well. If even if they lose 41 to 40, they played really well. I just lost $2,000, but I'm happy they played well. Baloney. You want your guys to win. I don't like sports anymore because my teams don't dominate like the 90s Bulls. I don't enjoy it at all. But I started playing picky pickleball with 70-year-olds. It's fun. <laughs> I'm fast. I've got quick reflexes. I can jump. They're like, look well, would I do this. They're like, wow, man, you're so high. <laughs> Come on, man. For me, that was a place of rest. But most importantly, understand this, I started seeing... Pastor, counselor. That's the real place of rest that God brought me to. The pickleball was a help, but that counselor, we sat down for hours at a time, and I would be able to, at rest, share what's going on in my heart. This is what's going on in my heart. And he didn't sit there and go, Brother, you are so messed up. I know I'm messed up. He knows I'm messed up, but he didn't say, He listened. To what was going on. And in listening to what was going on, I now had a place of rest. Where I could be with someone who could let me be where I'm at in the midst of my struggle. And I could just be free. Cause it's not always easy. I mean, everybody knows that, right? We go to a small group and it's not always easy to say, hey, you know what guys, I'm struggling with my wife just wanted to tell you we had a big argument. For God. It's not normal. It should be normal. But it's not really normal in smoker. And Even when we do, we kind of feel guilty, right? Because you're wondering, are these guys judging me, not judging me? I'm not really sure. You can go to the counselor like I did. And in my experience, it was very freeing because he's not there to judge me. He's there to help and listen. And so for Elijah, he came to a place of rest because that's where God brought him. And for me, God brought me to a place of rest because he brought me to someone who actually listened to what was going on in my life which is really important for us, especially when we're experiencing depression. And I appreciated that very much because in him listening to me, it gave me a place to understand the graciousness of God. The gracious God who says, come on, come here. I understand where you're coming from. Because in in part of what I was struggling with in my depression was, God, I, I I feel like a movie scene. You know all those movie scenes now, everyone where you're like, the people are sitting in the car, And they're just talking there, and you're just going, okay, here comes that car from the other way, and they're going to get T-boned, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's what I felt like. I felt, God, I just got T-boned. And I'm mad at you, because if you knew this was going on all along, why don't you just give me a warning or something, and you didn't? And that safe place to be able to just say there, like Elijah, what does Elijah say? That safe place with God. He says, God, I am done, man. I want to die. This, in the American vernacular, sucks. I don't want to do this anymore. Horrible. I quit. Take my life, please. That's what Elijah is saying. But God doesn't come back and say, dude, come on. He says, come to a safe place of rest. I don't know where you're at. If you're experiencing depression or have, uh, I'm not saying do it my way. I'm not saying do it way uh, Elijah's way. I'm so- saying God is gracious and he wants to bring you to a place of rest. you got to find that place of rest. you got to look for that place. And it might be hard. I remember in being depressed, every, if sometimes I would tell myself, dude, just one more step. Just start walking. Just one more step. Just take that next step. Keep taking the next step. If It's like a harvest monster, Take that next step. Take that next step, which is a good thing. Because that's, now some people can't do that. Their depression is so debilitating, they can't even get out of bed. So I'm not telling you, get out of bed and take that next step. I'm just telling you, this is how it went for Elijah. This is how it went for me. We're in a different place. For you, please, just take the next step. And find that place of rest that God graciously wants to lead you to. Here's the second thing. After all this graciousness, God is still gracious and called Elijah to ministry. Verse 11. And God said to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. At 55, I feel like I'm losing my hearing. You know, when people are talking, it's like, I can't hear you. it's really embarrassing because I have to tell me, huh, huh? It's like, and I don't remember what my father experienced. But it's a low whisper. And God is saying, Elijah, man, it ain't about power encounters and stuff like that. It's about me, about you hearing me, you and me connecting relationally, you and me being in that relationship. So he speaks to him in a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He finally meets God in this place of rest. And God brings that rest to him, and behold, there came a voice that said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been, this is Elijah, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. God, I, I want to die, man. If they're going to kill me, why don't you just kill me? Let's get it over with. But the Lord responds to this. He says, go. Turn on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And a whole bunch of other names. In the end, basically, God is giving, in verses 16 and 17, a simple plan for Elijah to get back to work. And he says, the one who escapes the sword of Jehu shall Elijah, Elisha put to death. Here's what's going on for Elijah. God asks him a question. Why are you here? Not because God doesn't know it's because, Elijah, let's, let's be real. Let's be honest. I mean, in the midst of your depression, there's nothing wrong with being honest. I'm struggling. I'm having a problem. I can't seem to get over this. I don't want to live anymore. That's okay. I get it. That's says, I understand. But in this place of rest, while you're screaming, I am alone, I want to tell you, no, you're not. Not in a mean way. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. In fact, not only are you not alone, I have something for you to do. I have something for you to do. <clears throat> That's what's happening in Elijah's life. But here's what happened in my life. <clears throat> because when I was in that place of that low-grade functioning depression, I was feeling like, man, I don't know. Am I doing the right thing? Have I not heard God correctly? Should I have done this in the first place some 30 years ago? Maybe I should have done something different. And all those questions. And here's what God happened. So in the midst of all of this and all the other conversations that I'm having with people, I, I, I hear these simple leadings of God, and it's like this. Uh, God brought a few pastors into my life who are struggling with similar stuff. And so God is saying, dude, you're not done. Because that's what he's telling Elijah. He said, You're not done, brother. You're not done. There's more that I have for you to do. There's more for you that I want you to do. There's other lives that I want you to touch. So listen, you're not done. Come to this place of rest. Cool. But now now that you're at this place of rest and the healing is taking place, you need to go out there because now you have something that I want you to do. To be able to come alongside alongside other people who are experiencing the same thing and say, I get you. I hear you. And to see in their eyes a light go on that says, I'm not alone. There are others who are going through this. See, Elijah's going, I'm alone. I'm alone. I'm so lonely. There's no one. Well, yeah, you're in a cave by yourself because you ran. That's why you're alone, but you feel alone because you think no one else is worshiping God. Trust me, I have others. I have others. You're not alone. But first, I want you to go back because, Elijah, I still have a call on your life. I still believe in you. I still believe there's more you can give to people. And so when God is bringing people into my life who are experiencing the same thing, there's, is that like, like I'm, I'm not saying, wow, I'm so happy they're suffering. I'm just saying that I'm so happy that I wasn't alone. And then this summer, it's a beautiful summer. I can hear God saying, I'm not done with you. I had four retreats and a missions trip. Four retreats to go to and a missions trip. And some of them were youth group ones. Some of them were adult ones. I went to an adult one where there was a clinical psychiatrist there. It was good to talk about uh, depression. It was good to hear somebody go, yes, amen. Like, oh, I finally got this right. This is really cool. Uh, To be among students, to actually, to be with students who in a way were hungry uh, for someone older to be like a shepherding figure in their life. And it's not that our kids aren't. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying, at another church, and you see that, and God says, I'm not done with you. So if you go to my office, you'll see in my office, I'm starting to hang up pictures on the wall. And uh, I have this retreat of the KCC retreat that I went to. And it's just a reminder of me, this is, is is God saying, I'm not done with you. It's not over. I understand where you're at. I understand that you're experiencing depression. I'm not done with you. Because as much as those kids say they touched my life, I really feel that they were given to me, and this could be a selfish perspective, trust me, a selfish perspective as possible, that they were given to me as a gift to say, you can still do this. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. It's even better when they want to become your Facebook friends. Which, you know, it's for like some of you young guys now, you're like, what's Facebook? Because Facebook isn't cool anymore. It's just old people, all of us, all of us over 40. Anyway. Here's the key that I want us to get. Some people may write us off. You're done. You're toast. God doesn't write us off. I can't tell you how many times that I felt that people were actually looking at me and saying, you're written off. You're done. That's it, man. God said, no, no, don't listen to that because I'm giving you these experiences to understand you are not done. And I'm not done with you. And even if things change and, and were are completely different from what you would expect. God is not done with you. And so for me, that was an encouragement. So God is gracious. He called Elijah to ministry. That's his experience, not necessarily yours. God is gracious to me because he called me to ministry, which might not be your experience. God is probably calling you to ministry because I really believe that in ultimately the wounded healers are the best healers of all. Because if you haven't gone through depression... You can't really help someone else who's gone through it. The reality is, never having been sexually abused, I cannot minister, in a sense, to someone who has been. I can't tell them, this is how you should feel. This is what you should do, because I have never been there. But someone who has experienced that can walk a lot. You don't even have to speak the words. You can just be there. And I find with a lot of people, just being there is helpful. Not just being there. And I think Pastor Dave was really good when he once told me, it's not just a matter of being there, but being there in Christ. Or for Christ. Being Christ to them. Being the person that God uses to bring them to that place of rest. That place of relationship with God. God is gracious. He is not through with you. That what you're going through is not something he enjoys. It's not something that he wants you to continue to go through. But if that's what your life may be, and many people like this pastor Jared who's been struggling with depression all of his life, it's what he was going through, it may never have changed. It might have, I don't know, not a happy ending. But God did not necessarily, in fact, God is not through with him because the books that he has written will still minister to people. God isn't through with him, even though he's not even here anymore. Third thing, God gave Elijah people to help him, verses 18 through 21. So here's what God finishes. He says, listen, Elijah, you feel alone, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. And every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, dude, you have a, a, a group of 7,000 people that will be your church. So don't give up. Don't give up. I have pe- 7,000 people. You think you're alone, you're not. There's 7,000 people who are around you. But it gets better. So he departed from there and found Elijah. Because what did God say to Elijah? He said, I'm going to give you an associate pastor or an associate prophet. His name is Elisha, the son of Shaphat. And he went to Elijah, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. That must have been kind of weird, right? It's like we're sitting here and uh, I say, you know what? I realize I need to retire uh, from pastoral ministry. I'm going to give it one more year. And I take off my shirt and I put it upon Brian Kim's shoulders. Duke, Duke graduate, right? And you're like, well, that's kind of weird. Why are you taking off your shirt and just giving it to him? And, it, and it's a way of developing a partnership and saying, listen, this is who I was, and I am passing the mantle on to you. So come and follow me. Elijah comes and follows him. What God does is say, you, you're alone. No, you're not alone. I'm going to give you 7,000 people to be your church, and I'm going to give you an associate pastor who's going to help you minister to these people and hopefully get people to come back to God. Because they have to make this choice. And so he says, you are not alone. For me, there were two groups of people that I met during this crisis. One of them, not so good. The other group, who helped me out. There were some people who absolutely made the whole thing worse. Uh, unfortunately. There were people who, when I expressed what was going on, disappeared. People who used to be friendly, who used to be caring, who used to talk to you, used to do things. Gone. Didn't see him, never came up and said, Hey, man, I know that you uh, had mentioned this. What's going on? Just disappeared. Some people, they had made promises that they didn't keep, which is even more discouraging. Hey, we'll do this, but what? Why isn't it happening? And other people who became passive aggressive, who, even in their way of not really coming out and attacking you, would do things in such a way that basically said, I know. I know. I'm watching. And uh, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that in a passive-aggressive way, and I'm going to pull away from your ministry because I don't really believe that you're able to do this anymore. That's why we can't listen to what people say. If you listen to what people say, you're going to be trapped. And that was one of the freeing things for me because when I'm hearing God say, I'm not done with you, then trust me, there's a lot of work God has to do. But when he says, I'm not done with you, even if people go, you're done, it's good to know that God says, no, I'm not done with you. So those are the kind of people that made it worse because you're thinking, come on, man, we have walked together. And in the midst of walking together, now I'm feeling like I'm walking alone. God says, no, you are not alone. Here's what happened. I went to some counselors, you know, like you get advice from people. And uh, I had some very difficult people who are counselors. I had one person tell me, they said this, they go, so what you're telling me is uh, people never went through something like you've gone through. Uh, no one like Jesus, right? And don't you hate when people say that? Jesus, what do you say? Yeah, Jesus, you know, the guy that died on the cross for your sin. And it's like, are you a counselor? What kind, what kind of guy? Uh, like if Peter, you went to a counselor and you said, man, I'm struggling with this. And said, well, you know what? Jesus died on the cross. Get your life together, brother. That's not really encouraging words, right? That's not the way he said it, but that's the way I took it. And you know what? I needed to hear that. Do you hear what I said? I needed to hear that. You may not need to hear that. That's why I, I needed to hear it because I needed to hear someone say, listen, just because God has done through with you, just because you're working through, this, you've got to understand Jesus has gone through that before you because the hero of the story is not me. It's not about me going to a counselor. It's not about me finding pick finding pickleball. It's not me about having counselors around me who would surround me and take care It's about the fact that Jesus says, I am gracious. I want to bring you to a place of rest. I am not done with you. And I will surround you with people who actually care. And those who don't, that's okay because maybe there's something going on there that so you don't understand. That's a tough word to hear, though. Be like Jesus in the midst of your pain because you don't want to be like Jesus. You don't want the compassion of Jesus. You want the power of Jesus because you want to strike back and you want to win and you want to be victorious. And here was a call to humility. I mean, I had two or three people that were telling me some hard... I had one person, listen, man, just don't fight. Obviously, opposite from what I wanted to hear. But they said hard words that I needed to hear. Some people need to hear hard words. Some people don't. That was my experience. That was the kind of people I had. I had partners who came alongside of me who actually were with me in word and deed. So it's not like say I care for you. It's wonderful. I appreciate you. But I was, I was absolutely surprised people would come alongside and say, you know what, really, you do kind of suck at this. Let me help you. Which is like, I was like, that's fantastic, because you know what the reality is? I do suck at this, and thank you for the help, because I'm just drowning in this. And you came along and did things that actually helped me get to a place to be at rest. Where, like, when I stand before you today, I can actually say I'm experiencing a sense of new life and joy. After a long period of what I felt was real darkness. Because people came alongside, and I said, you know, the one thing I would say this much, we always talk about um, kids being kids, but the youth group was incredibly helpful. uh, A good, you know, it's like, uh, you're the pastor. You're supposed to minister to them. They come around me and kids would say, well, I thank you for specific things. Specific things that I would be struggling with. And they would come and say, thank you for this. And thank you for that. And I really appreciate this. One student who told me at the retreat, he said, you get me you get me. And I was like, dude, that's pretty cool because I'm 55 and you're like 18 and I'm not supposed to get you because I'm supposed to be out of touch with everything and you're telling me you get me? Well, that's great, that's awesome because God surrounds us with people who want to encourage us and give us life because God is gracious. God is gracious because he sent people to Elijah to help him. That was his experience. God is gracious because he sent people to me who helped me through a really deep rut and and, and family, family helped a ton. I could just remember when I was, I was falling asleep and thinking, man, if I don't live, who's going to take care of the family? Who's going to take care of my wife? I mean, you know, I, God's going to take care of them I get all that stuff. But when you're in the midst of that, that's the question that you're asking. Who's really going to take care of them? You know, I mean, uh, the only thing, good thing I can think of is like, okay, there's a good, good amount of insurance money, that's good. And uh, all their college debt will be wiped out, so that'll be good. But after that, who's going to take care of them? Family was the, one, the people coming around me and helping out. Even my wife, uh, as a counselor, I don't remember what she said, man, but she said something that was really hard to hear. And I was like, man, I can't believe you just said that, man. What kind of wife are you? <laughs> I didn't say that out loud. I am saying it out loud now, though. But she was right. Man, she was right, because she was pointing out something. Brother, you got something wrong. And that's something wrong. That sin in my life, that wasn't letting me see the fullness of God, when she pointed that out to me, it was like, you are so right. I want you to be right. I want you to be wrong, but you are so right. I got to deal with this. That's where my wife was. That's where the family came in. And so it's God sends people into our lives. And so when you're going through it, don't be disappointed when you have some people that you expect to be on your side, flee or actually come against you. I think it's going to happen. But I'm going to pray that you find people who are going to come alongside you and come hell or high water, they'll be with you through it all. This is what we all need, in a sense. Even if you're not experiencing depression, that's what we all need. Let me finish with this. The unfortunate truth is that not all depression stories end happily. I wish I could tell you (coughs) that every Christian that follows Jesus is going to find Jesus, and everything is going to be wonderful, and they're not going to take their lives. I've been in Christian ministry now for 32-plus years. In fact, what did I say yesterday? 32 years. uh, Let's see, June, July, August, three months, and today's the 15th. 32 years, 3 months, 15 days. Who cares? I'm not counting. Okay, I really am. In that time, I've seen a lot of people in church take their lives. Why? Just go back to the science of loss of hopelessness. Do I sit there and go, oh, what horrible Christians. They didn't worship right. They didn't praise the Lord enough. Yada, yada, yada. It's real. And it came home to me, like I've shared with you several times before, when my own personal, deeply rooted friend took his own life. And it was crazy because I had a dream about his wife that she was in trouble this week. And so it's kind of weird. I mean, after all these years, that, that guy is still a part of my life because he mattered so much to me. But it wasn't a happy ending because he leaves a wife and two kids. This pastor in California leaves a wife and two kids. This man that uh, took his life because he lost his wife leaves a family behind. Not all these stories are happy. So I don't want you to leave here going, man... Oh, man, I'm never going to get there. I'm never going to be where Elijah was. I'm never going to be where Pastor Frank was. I'm such a miserable loser. I quit. I give up. I don't want you to get to that place. Please don't leave. Just because my story turned out well for now does not mean that if your story is not changing, that it might not change. Even Even if it ends in tragedy, and I really hope that it doesn't because they do end in tragedy, is that you must understand the hero of all of this is not Elijah. The hero is not me. The hero is Jesus. It is the Jesus. What really helped me out a lot was preaching the gospel to myself. Again, the realization that the Son of God worshiped throughout all eternity. The angels before him saying, holy, holy, holy. Knowing ahead of time saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the lamb who would be slain. Hearing all of that actually came to walk this planet for us, for the world. Because he loved the world. Hearing that gospel preached, I'm thinking to myself, why does someone give so much to so many who give back so little? It's because of love. Because as a hero that he is, he said, I'm not worried about being equal with God. I will humble myself. I will dwell in the flesh to die on a cross for them that they might know you, Father. Because you want to bring people to rest. Not just... Physical rest, not just emotional rest, but eternal and spiritual rest. And hearing that gospel reminds me that the hero of any story where there is overcoming is the hero is Jesus. It's not me. I could not will empower myself out of this. It is the people that God brought into my life. It is the gospel that God spoke into my life again. That was able to bring me to a place of being at rest with God. So here, I want to apply this three ways. Number one, God is gracious, so get some rest. If you're in that place or struggling, you don't have to play piano, sister. <clears throat> That's, I'm sorry, I apologize for that. I mean, I know that you're told to do, but I, I, just, I want you to hear. God is gracious, so get some rest, not just sleep. But find a place where you can meet with God. And if that means that you need to come and talk to a pastor, or you need to come and talk to a counselor, you just go do it. Because I know a lot of people go, oh man, I'm not going to no counselor. I don't need no counselor. Counselor don't do this. Counselor don't do that. Counselor, you know. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Not all of them. Not every counselor out there is an all-star counselor. Not every pastor is an all-star pastor. If you want an all-star pastor, then I guess I need to go to another church because I don't think I'm an all-star pastor. Now, again, I'm not fishing for compliments. I'm just telling you how I feel, which is part of the struggle that I have. Get some rest. Okay? Number two, God is gracious, so remember, he's not done with you. You might be in a horrible spot. He is not done with you. God has taken some really huge tragedies throughout history and done something with them that is mighty and powerful. Does God want you to go through those tragedies? Well, maybe in some ways it's good for us because it humbles us. It causes us to depend upon them. But I don't think God's greatest joy is for us to have tragedies. I think God's greatest joy is for us to be in an intimate and personal relationship with Him. And so remember that he's not done with you. And then the third thing, God is gracious, so find some encouraging relationships. They're going to say hard things, but as long as they're with you, and they love you, that's it. Because I don't like to hear hard things. I really want people to come up to me and say, oh, you're wonderful, you're great, you're the best thing since sliced bread. That's great. Which makes you wonder, what was the best thing before sliced bread? But I digress. Here's what I want you to understand. So you leave here. I'm not a hero. I'm not a great guy. Because I've overcome something that lasted eight months. Some of you are out there and have been struggling with it for years, maybe even a whole lifetime. Don't look at me and go, oh, he, he's got it all together. No, the hero is Jesus, the one who did for me what I expected no one else to do, but he just did it because he loves. And that's the Jesus that I want you to meet, that hero that I want you to meet. And he might not lift everything, but he says this, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Let's pray.